Welcome, Austin and Jim. While everything's been happening in Syria, there's been there have been events happening over next door in Turkey. Especially, there was some uh, recent changes in their government. Jim, would you like to explain that? Uh, yeah, uh, Erdogan, who has been uh, losing his uh, his popularity, as it were, for the last fifteen years by turning into what he said he would replace, uh, <clears throat> took his remaining uh, support. And gambled it on asking for a uh, a, a new law uh, that had to be approved by a uh, you know a, a a a national vote to grant him more power to make him more like as the joke goes the sultan uh, and he barely won. Uh, an interesting aspect of that I noted was that <laughs> the uh, Turks in uh, Germany were uh, able to vote. And they were more enthusiastic about Erdogan getting more power than the Turks living in Turkey were. So for what it's worth. Austin, do you have anything to add to that? Look, what, what's been going on here since really the uh, 1990s uh, around uh, Rachid Tayyip's uh, Erdogan, uh, just, just to clarify on this, when he's called Sultan, Rajib, they're using the old uh, Ottoman Turkish uh, formulation. The Sultan was, was by his, really his first name or, or, give, uh, or given name. Uh, so, and sometimes when he's referred to now as Caliph Erdogan, at one time the Sultan and the Caliphate were co, uh, co-extant, but you'll see him, he'll be Caliph Erdogan in, in the way we'll do that. But, uh, Mox Nix, that use of that title indicates that he's trying that many of his political opponents and uh, many outside observers, including me, believe he is hell-bent on uh, solidifying uh, authoritarian control in the office of the president in uh, in Turkey. In other words, make himself an elected dictator. And what happened uh, last Sunday in that election were, quote-unquote, approval of constitutional changes to do just that. But the process begins in the 1990s. Uh, when Erdogan is uh, working with a predecessor to his uh, current justice uh, and uh, development uh, party, he is uh, 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 portrays himself as a moderate Islamist, which uh, he has been. In other words, an Islamist working in the political uh, in the political system. But he also made a very curious uh, statement, uh, uh, Dan. Uh, it is the speech itself is rather rambunctious and uh, rhetorical and hot-headed, and he's used that as an excuse for it. But he says, you know, democracy is like a train. You take it so far, and then finally you get off at the last station, uh, implying that the a restoration of a Islamist government of some sort would be, you know, then we'll, then we'll ditch, uh, ditch this. Uh, the other component, and this gets into psycholo- uh, psychologizing or evaluating the his uh, uh, psychology, uh, but is that what Erdogan said as much? He's extremely jealous of Mustafa Kemal uh, Ataturk, the founder of the modern Turkish Republic. And as uh, you guys know, and it's all over strategy page with the front page of the, or the cover of that uh, Macmillan uh, biography I wrote uh, on Ataturk's uh, military career. I've written a, I've written a, a biography of Ataturk. And, and the, uh, I also deal with the founding of the Turkish Republic, a parliamentary uh, democracy. Uh, yes, Ataturk is a very authoritarian uh, president. 
while he's alive. But as his greatest biographer, Andrew Mango, says he, he created a democratic orientation and one that would democratize uh, uh, in a process of democratization. Uh, and he, unfortunately, Ataturk died in his late 50s, 1938. That said, uh, Erdogan uh, is jealous of uh, Ataturk's uh, reputa historical reputation, and he sees himself as someone with the same level of uh, leadership skills and uh, uh, and ought to have the, at least the same, if not greater, stature in, in, in Turkish uh, uh, history. At least that's one line of analysis, and there's good reason to, uh, to support it. But after uh, his uh, Justice and Development Party, the AKP, comes to power, early in the uh, last decade, uh, there's a slow process of, for one thing is, uh, going after uh, the uh, Turkish military. The Turkish military had become as, uh, well, this is the word used to describe it, they had a Praetorian streak, meaning that they were behaving like the, Repo uh, the Roman, Re Roman Praetorian Guard and installing governments uh, uh, and removing them. Series of coup d'etats. Uh, the European Union uh, encouraged this because they wanted to break Turkey of its coup d'etat habit, as the, its uh, critics said. However, the one thing that the military had been tasked with and had a Turk task it with us was uh, defending the democratic institutions. That said, we proceeded through uh, the, the next decade, and of course, uh, last year, there was a attempted coup d'etat. Uh, it was a rather uh, poorly uh, orchestrated coup d'etat. One, as, as many uh, analysts said, that doesn't look like a Turkish military coup d'etat. At least it looks like the amateur hour within it, which has led to some folks saying, hey, it was staged by Erdogan so he could purge, run a purge, or it the uh, they were by amateurs, and that's where you get into the the Islamist movement run by Fatullah Gulen, saying that they were the, they were the ones who who organized that coup in July of last year. But since that coup, Erdogan has conducted a purge, a purge throughout the country, and attempted to, and in some cases has succeeded in installing his supporters. And then his move to move this uh, constitutional change is to quote unquote legalize uh, what he's uh, 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 what he's le legalized his aspirations to be the authoritarian leader of Turkey. Uh, there's some disagreement about how the, the a lot of disagreement about how the election was conducted, and also about what it was that people actually voted on. There's some issues about that quote unquote. Uh, constitutional, uh, uh, constitutional changes. We'll have to see how that plays out. But here's here's the issue for the rest of Europe and also the U.S. interest in it. Turkey's a major NATO ally and has been a good one. I'd be interested in hearing Jim's uh, uh, opinion of uh, of that and, and a reliable one. Uh, and here you have uh, a where you've uh, had a long-term trend to democratization, political modernization, you now have uh, a structure that, well, it's it's reminiscent, if not 
of, in some ways, the way Francisco Franco ran Spain. And remember, the, the Spain doesn't join NATO until after Franco's long gone. Uh, I make that comparison just to, you know, for those who are familiar with a, uh, uh, the, uh, a, a Spanish dictatorship, it certainly wasn't absolute. Uh, I don't see that the you know, legalized uh, dictatorship that Erdogan has been uh, uh, becoming "quote unquote" uh, uh, a- a- absolute. For one thing, is his his uh, his policies have been he's, he's very trade oriented, and I think that he knows that that would uh, that would damage uh, the Turkish economy. He doesn't want to do that, but that's my uh, my supposition. Still, you're at a situation where a critical critical NATO ally that is in sits in a in a violent nest of uh, of conflicts. Oh, it's right by Iraq. It's next door to Syria. It's on the Baltic uh, Sea. Uh, uh, I mean, excuse me, Black Sea uh, across the uh, uh, across the sea from yeah, Russia, Ukraine, uh, Georgia, uh, and it's it has had uh, Turkey has had extraordinary influence. Throughout the Muslim world, not just in, quote, you know, remember, Turkey's a, a European country, but not just through Arab, uh, Arab Muslim states, but uh, predominantly Muslim states uh, are around the world. It's been admired, in, for the most part, because it is a predominantly Muslim country, overwhelmingly Muslim country, that is a democracy. And that's, I've heard uh, Turkish uh, ambassadors uh, say that, or and, and acknowledge. I personally heard it. Of course, the thing it's it's, it's published uh, widely. Uh, I, I I believe that uh, to be uh, to be correct. And uh, here's this change going on at a time that look what what we last talk about on uh, on on strategy talk in Syria, yeah. Missile strikes, and of course, I, th- I think that came after our, our strategy, our strategy talk. But the chemical uh, uh, chemical attack had occurred uh, prior to it. Uh, there's a lot of uh, uncertainty now about about Turkey's long term orientation. It has been towards towards Europe, uh, possible possibly joining uh, the European Union. But now maybe not. Maybe that wasn't a good idea to begin with. And uh, if if it goes authoritarian and uh, behaves as an authoritarian state, what are the long-term implications for uh, uh, the rest of Europe, uh, west you know Europe west of uh, of uh, Turkey, and uh, what are the what are the prospects of Turkey uh, changing its general alignment would it I don't I don't think it's going to uh, I don't think it's going to favor other authoritarian uh, other authoritarian states but it may not play the role of, of buffer or or uh, conciliator that it has uh, that, that it has so far particularly in the Middle East does that make sense to you Jim well, yeah, the problem with Turkey is they're caught between uh, traditional enemies, namely Russia and Iran, uh, and a uh, traditional burden, 
which is, I guess, best in, uh, encapsulated in the old Turkish saying, do not involve yourself with the affairs of the Arabs. Now, that saying came to be during the centuries uh, that the Turks ruled most of the, the current you know, Arab states, uh, and they found out it was nothing but trouble. And that was a big uh, talking point, as it were, with the, the young Turks and Ataturk. You know, there was this young Turks, uh, you know, uh, revolutionary movement or reform movement uh, before World War One, and uh, and basically they said, you know, hey, you know, we're losing the, uh, we lost the war. Uh, shame on us because we chose the wrong side. And secondly. Uh, we're losing the uh, the control of all those Arab countries. A lot of oil hadn't been discovered yet, um, and uh, that frees us of a enormous burden. I mean, as Churchill discovered during World War II when he had a economic analysis of uh, running the uh, you know the, uh, the the Indian Empire, they were losing money and there were no prospects for ever turning that around. So he said, well, "Why the hell are we still there? They want us out." It's costing us a fortune to stay there. Let's go. And they went. Uh, so a lot of Turks see this, this turn towards the Arabs as a, as a strategic error of epic proportions. Now, the other thing that a growing number of Turks are angry about was that Erdogan and his Islamic moderate party got into office initially on the promise that they would clean up the corruption. Now, the corruption has always been a big deal in Turkey. It's been endemic. The, the ancient Romans complained about it. The, the, uh, we're talking about the general area, not just the Turks. Turks are the latest empire to move in. But the, uh, the, the Alexander the Great was able to basically conquer Anatolia and the Persian Empire because of the corruption. It's because it, it, it periodically fragmented the, any empire that was formed there. It was, it was uh, inherently inefficient. Um, and the, uh, the Turks were frustrated as they tried to join the European Union, which they are still technically applying for, uh, because the, uh, the, the Europeans, especially the northern Europeans, the least corrupt countries like Germany and the Scandinavian uh, states, uh, said you've got to clean up the corruption. And this became even more of an issue after Greece, uh, which was corrupt before they were conquered by the Turks, but obviously the corruption in Greece didn't improve any uh, through, you know, more than a century of, of Turkish rule. Um, and uh, the Turks, the Greeks managed to lie their way into the European Union, as it later turned out. That's what uh -uh. the... Uh, the uh, the the uh, the huge uh, scandal, uh, which is still ongoing, with Turkey basically uh, falsifying its books uh, in order to get the loans it couldn't repay, and expecting the Europe the European Union to bail them out. Uh, that of course is one of the background factors for Brexit. And now other European states saying, well, we should get the hell out before this whole thing goes up in flames. Be that as it may, corruption was reduced by Erdogan early on. But then he was found to becoming corrupt. I mean, it's an insidious disease out there. It's, it's a cultural thing. A lot of uh, people in that part of the world, they consider it a, uh, a, a way to make business happen. I mean, I've had Arabs explain this to me. Now, these are what I call bicultural Arabs, Arabs who were educated in the West, who often work in the West. That's how I meet them. Um, but they have family back home. 
and uh, they they joke, you know, usually over a drink, about how difficult it is to be on both sides of this 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 cultural iron curtain. Um, the Turks thought they were winning that. Erdogan said, "Hey, you know, a little of the old time religion might help us, you know, to finish off the corruption," and he brings it back. Uh, I mean, now it's not as bad as it was before he came into power, and that's the reason why he hung on to barely 50% of the vote to win this constitutional, you know, plebiscite. Um, but Turks, he's, he he sees the polls, he can do the math, and he recognizes that trends are not going in his way. So, as Austin pointed out, he's warning everybody that you know this democracy thing may have run its course, and you know we'll have to uh, keep it under consideration. Uh, so things are not looking good, and of course. Getting involved with the affairs of the Arabs is turning out to be not just an old folks, you know, saying, uh, as a lot of old sayings go, there's a germ of truth to it. And they're basically, you know, as, as the old American, you know, folk idiom goes, they're finding it to be a tar baby. The more you hit it, the more you get stuck. Um, and uh, this is what's turning around in Erdogan's face. And he basically is faced with the classic situation as Austin alludes to with other countries, where uh, when a uh, politician uh, basically gets uh, gets in big trouble, uh, he basically plays the nationalism card. Um, uh, and you even see that in the United States with Trump, although <laughs> Trump is a little different because he came in to basically stop that. But then, of course, he's, he's up the, the loyal opposition or whatever. They're accusing him of being what? He said they were, but that's another story. It's a little too close to home. But looked at it, looked at from a distance, it's fairly clear what's going on here. It's what Putin is doing in Russia. It's what the Communist Party is doing in China, and it's what many countries have done before. Uh, the the last refuge of scoundrels is patriotism. That's an old American saying, which came about after the uh, the uh, the Civil War. Um, which is a whole other, you know, sad story we won't go into here. But the uh, the problem is, it's ancient, uh, it's almost endemic in in the in the political process, and it never leads to anything good. Uh, and unfortunately for Erdogan, a lot of Turks are aware of that, um, and uh, so it's going to be touch and go. I mean, he seems to be on a roll, but the more he moves forward, the more support he loses. And eventually he's going to reach the tipping point, as it were, where the Turks have to decide, do we go this way or that way? Now, the problem Erdogan has is it's one thing to to, to basically uh, suppress the Russians who, who would say they admire as Stal- I mean, Stalin's popularity has gone from eight percent in uh, 1990 after the Soviet Union fell. It's up to, I think, 24 percent now. So it's rising. You know, I mean, it basically it's. It's the folk wisdom. Well, maybe we need a strong guy to blip us in the shape. Same thing with the Chinese. The Chinese are now uh, <clears throat> stressing the, uh, the 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 Chinese name for uh, China, which is interpreted in the, in the West as the Middle Kingdom, but literally it means in China everything under the heavens, meaning China is as big as it wants to be, and that appeals to Chinese on a, a lot of Chinese on a fundamental level. So you can see this problem. Um, and uh, it can be very uh, much worse these days because a lot of the countries that are suffering from it 
have nuclear weapons. So if they decide to go to have a, a spasm, as it were, to have a meltdown, well, they can melt down a lot of the rest of the planet with them. Um, and uh, that's why uh, it's not just a historical curiosity. Uh, it's a it's a worldwide threat. And now Turkey is not a worldwide threat. Turkey is an, an anomaly in that they're likely to, to pull themselves back because when the Turks rebel, whoever's in charge is toast. The Turks do not mess around. They are not a subservient. You know, they don't have a, a tradition of subservience. They have a tradition of basically getting together and getting it done. Um, and Erdogan is well aware of that. And I don't know how he's going to handle that. I think he's going to feel himself lucky if he can get out of it alive. But this story is not ending yet. Uh, uh, go ahead, Dan. I'm sorry. How is this all affecting relationships with the United States and the rest of Europe? Austin? Not well. No, go ahead. No, you want uh, look. I want to pick up on something that that Jim said, and I I, I alluded to it. Jim started. Uh, down that road, uh, down that road, uh, much more clearly than I did. Erdogan's also when it was when he was being various times called Sultan Rajib was promulgating a program that was described as neo Ottomanist, uh, meaning like well, he was behaving like like a sultan, and that had some of the aspects of what Jim says about getting involved in Arab affairs, but. There was also outreach to some of the Turkic communities in Central Asia. Well, Turkey's had relationships uh, with them. Uh, outreach to uh, other uh, other nations, some of them, though, that had been uh, under Ottoman control or under Ottoman influence at the uh, greatest expanse of, of the Ottoman Empire. Now... I think some of the harsher critiques of him were really way too, you know, playing the historical, using driving the historical uh, analogy to uh, to an absurd an absurd point. But nevertheless, there was a lot a lot of truth to it. As Jim says, he was he was using uh, his uh, his power and uh, Turkey's uh, Tur uh, Turkey's uh, let's let's say this uh, foreign policy influence. To uh, as as a way to that it it added prestige to him. There was a lot of selfish uh, motive to it. I'm an international player on my own. Okay, well he is because he's president of Turkey and Turkey's a powerful country, second largest military in NATO, and it's a good one. And as Jim said. Everyone knows that the, the Turks are one of those countries that when they really get into something, they don't fiddle around. They may not win, but they're not. You, you've you've got a, a very tough and focused uh, focused ad, uh, adversary. Uh, as Jim points out, a lot of that's backfired on him. Some of his supporters, including many of his moderate Islamist supporters, are. Very disappointed. Nevertheless, he managed, it, at least according to the initial vote tallies, to eke out approval of this consolidation of power in the office of the presidency. And I'm using that sort of thing about as one big, one big statement there. Consolidation of power in the office of the presidency, constitutional change that was uh, passed, uh, supposedly passed last uh, last Sunday. 
Now, uh, that's again Erdogan on a uh, shelf uh, inflating the binge. It's about him. Uh, that's very disturbing. Uh, for now, to get back to your uh, your uh, question, Dan, that's that's very disturbing, or ought to be disturbing, for the United States because one of the things the United States has depended upon from Turkey is that that democratic orientation, that democratic parliamentary uh, structure, and also how it has moderated uh, Turkish domestic politics. Turks still have a streak where they'll break out and, and, and shoot at each other. I'm not talking about Turks shooting it up with Turkish Kurds yet, uh, but that's that there are some very sharp divisions uh, within Turkey's uh, in Turkey's domestic uh, po- uh, political front. And with Erdogan assuming such great great control, now those may become much more evident, and as Jim, that's when Jim says that they, that they may reach a point that you see, uh, not, not just a coup, but a civil struggle within, civil conflict within Turkey. That's bad for the United States. That's bad for, that's, that's bad for uh, a whole of Europe. I think that's bad for, uh, for virtually everybody except perhaps the Assad regime and uh, uh, Vladimir Putin's Russia. Because of the instability in, in, in the, of that degree uh, in Turkey, but it does become a possibility when you essentially have so much authority in the hands of one man. He's a dictator, and what happens when the dictator goes? Uh, what happens when a sufficiently large portion of the country decides the dictator they need to try to make the dictator go? Do you get? I, I'm, I'm not using this as a this, this is not a prediction, but you 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 get this kind of civil con uh, you know, destructive civil conflict, and Turkey would uh, have it on a larger scale have some of the elements I think that you see in in uh, uh, in Syria enclaves versus enclaves that'd be larger and they wouldn't necessarily be ethnic uh, ethnic based on this. And here it's going on in a country with one of, with several of the most important NATO bases in the uh, in the region, including that huge. Uh, it's a it's a Turkish uh, uh, a naval base uh, you know, on the uh, on the Aegean and also the Encirlik uh, Air Base. But it's uh, and all there are all kinds of. Uh, NATO intelligence gathering operations in east in eastern Turkey and on, on the Black Sea. Uh, on top of that, there's the uh, the Turkish Straits, the Dardanelles and Bosporus. That's one of the uh, planet's uh, more important uh, uh, shipping uh, shipping choke points. What happens with that? Uh, I just tossed that out uh, uh, the, the Tur- uh, as an uh, example of one where there's immediate international interest, and there's a lot of interest on the Russians, part, because that's how their Black Sea commerce uh, reaches, reaches the Mediterranean. Same thing applies with uh, Bulgaria and Ukraine and Georgia. 
uh, and that's also how the rest of the world reaches the the, the Black Sea ports. Uh, there you've got a, a, a commercial interest because of the geographic uh, uh, geographic issue, but uh, Turkey has been uh, and since the founding of the republic and and Ataturk been a, a uh, generous stewards and careful stewards of the right of passage through the uh, uh, the uh, straits. Uh, what happens if there's a civil conflict? Would and I, I don't see Erdogan doing what I'm about to suggest, uh, Dan. But it's something that attracts dictators. Control over that is, is uh, over the, of, over that strait. Uh, is uh, a weapon to play with uh, potential potential adversaries. Look at the way Iran plays the Strait of Hormuz, with uh, all of the tanker traffic coming out of the Persian uh, Persian Gulf and uh, and you know threaten threaten that. That's an example of a dictatorship uh, using a uh, uh, using leverage or attempting to get leverage by uh, threatening it to close. Uh, uh, a commercial shipping uh, a choke point. I do not see Erdogan doing it. But I just point out that dictators do it. And these that comes back to uh, another part of the answer to your question, U.S. interest in it. Hey, we're interested in freedom of navigation and right of passage. And that's that's what's going on in the South China Sea. And that just doesn't affect us. That affects that affect, that affects that affects the world, but take a look at America's uh, most important allies. They're all engaged in in in, in sea commerce, uh, and, and in in the case of of uh, an ally like uh, Japan, uh, dependent on it. Uh, that, but that's uh, I, I think I'm I'm moving further afield with it. But that's what I it comes back to what I said when I do in my. You know, first, uh, well, first on the program today is uh, the uncertainty that's arising out of <sighs> Recep Tayyip Erdogan's <sighs> self-aggrandizing consolidation of power. I think that's a good way to put it. It is self-aggrandizing, and it, in the process, I, I believe he is destroying Turkey's uh, democracy. Jim. How are the Russians going to play this? Well, Russia and Iran are, how should I put it, at odds with Turkey and each other on exactly how to play it. Uh, we've covered this several times in strategy page, this unholy, unnatural alliance between these three traditional enemies. Uh, the Russians basically want to establish a uh, presence, more of a presence in the Mediterranean. And right now they have a deal with the Assads uh, to uh, basically, and they are building, a, expanding a, a naval port. Uh, but that conflicts with, uh, uh, with the Israelis, uh, who would the Russians also want to cultivate because the Russians can count and they realize that the Israelis are the strongest military power, strongest economic power in the Middle East. Even more so than uh, you know than, than Turkey, because the the Israelis have nukes, um, and uh, the uh, Turks are confused because they're not exactly sure what 
Erdogan is trying to do here. Uh, a lot of Turks are just against getting involved with the Arabs. Um, they can understand. I mean, you can see what Erdogan is doing here. Erdogan keeps hammering away. It's all about the separatist Kurds, the PKK, which have been, uh, which we've been covering for about almost 20 years now. Um, the Kurds, uh, were, are, are the only large ethnic minority in the Middle East that don't have their own country. Um, and they've been trying real hard for a long time. Uh, they've long been part of what the Turks consider their homeland, uh, which introduces another problem. Uh, the northern part of Iraq used to be part of the Turkish homeland, but the uh, the Allies after World War One they detached that and and gave it to this new entity called Iraq uh, because it, uh, it had oil, and the and the and the British could see that the future of oil. The future of military power was having oil, and the only oil the, the Turks could uh, conceivably have was in Mosul in northern Iraq. Uh, now, the Turks have not made noises of getting that back, and indeed, <laughs> they have a, 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 a Kurdish ally in the autonomous northern Iraq, which is controlled by Kurds, who the, the, uh, the Iraqi Arabs uh, cannot seem to control. Um, uh, but the basically, the... Uh, the, the Turks are mainly uh, uh, obsessed with uh, making, uh, absorbing their own Kurds, or at least reaching a detente. Um, and uh, that seemed to be moving along slowly until a year or so ago when the ceasefire with the PKA and, and, the, and the, <coughs> the current peace talks fell apart, and they've been fighting each other again. Now, that also led to the Turks invading with ground forces uh, northern Syria, because there's a allied uh, Kurdish separatist movement in Syria, the YPG, uh, which has uh, is, is often been allied with the PKK. The, uh, the Kurds in northern Iraq were not allied with the PKK. They always had a wary, you know, all right, you're, you're fellow Kurds, but man, we don't want any part of your fight, you know, with, with the Turks. Uh, we have enough problems with the damn Arabs. We have, uh, and uh, the the uh, the Iranians are also got a Kurdish connection because they have a Kurdish minority in north in northwestern uh, Iran, which also has its own you know uh, armed movements. Actually, it has more than one of them, and a lot of them are basically uh, popping up after decades of being fairly quiet and uh, being violent once more. So the Kurds. And their drive for a, a Kurdistan, a separate Kurdish country, are basically causing problems in, in all, all, all three countries. Well, actually, all four countries. Um, but for the Turks, they can, they, the Turks are the most powerful of the uh, countries with a, uh, a Kurdish minority. They have the largest Kurdish minority. And, uh, and uh, the, the, the Erdogan came in and he basically said, look, uh, no more Mr. Nice Guy, because there were there was always two schools of uh, of thought in among Turks about how to deal with the Kurds. One was to crush them, uh, which hadn't worked over centuries, and the other was to work out a uh, a federal sort of arrangement where, like Switzerland or probably more like Belgium, uh, where there'd be a Kurdish you know uh, provinces in eastern uh, southeastern Turkey. Um, well, Erdogan wants no part of that. He's basically exploiting that, that traditional Turkish fear of the Kurds splitting the country. 
taking away that part that they are the majority. Uh, and uh, that is what's that is more than anything what Erdogan is using it to justify uh, having soldiers, ground troops in uh, in northern Syria. Now, the the reason, the immediate reason Erdogan gave for sending the troops in was to get rid of ISIL because ISIL, the Arab Islamic terrorists, uh, were launching attacks across the border and inside Turkey, some fairly large ones. And this was very unpopular inside Turkey. And he said, well, one way we can uh, ameliorate, if not eliminate this, is to take control of the uh, Syrian border, the Syrian side of the Syrian border, and clear out all the ISIL. Now, they've done that, but there are still a lot of Kurds there. Some of them are willing to work with the Turks, and the Turks recognize that. They're not exactly as easy to work with as the Iraqi Kurds, but you know they're not associated with the with the PKK, uh, you know, uh, allied uh, Syrian Kurds. Uh, so you have this situation in northern Syria, which is again proving the point that a lot of Turks remind Erdogan of: you don't get involved with the Arabs. Um, and uh, he basically, the implicit promise was. As soon as we take care of, uh, of ISIL in, along our border, you know, we'll basically withdraw. Well, he's not withdrawing. He's talking about withdrawing. So you can see it, it's, he's got a very complicated situation with the Arabs already as well as with the Kurds. Now, this brings in the Iranians because the Iranians and the Russians are basically they're trying to uh, 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 revive or, 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 or uh, rescue the, uh, the Shia Arab minority dictatorship, the Assad's in Syria. Russia's doing it, you know, for a lot of reasons. None of them are really you know, sensible, but you know, that's Russian politics for you. Um, the Iranians are doing it because they want to uh, destroy Israel, which, again, something not very sensible, but the Iranians are a whole other issue here. Um, and the uh, uh, the Kurds, of course, are, are, are caught in the middle of all this mess. They've been fighting ISIL all along. Um, but they are willing to basically do business with the Assads as long as they can have more autonomy, uh, be left alone, et cetera, et cetera. So you can see what a mess we've got here. The Kurds have always been a, a problem because of their their their, their constant uh, seeking of independence and, uh, and, and not not just that, but also their own state. Um, but you've also got the 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 uh, the, the traditional. Uh, rivalries between the Russians, the Turks, uh, the Iranians, and uh, and the Arabs, and, and the Arabs were really, you know, just a place, a convenient place to go fight your wars. Uh, and of course, the Arabs are now something to be reckoned with because they got a lot of oil money. Uh, so now you've got another. If you don't have enough wild cards down there, you've got the Arabs, and of course you've got Israel, uh, whom everybody technically hates, but uh, as we see with the Russians. They're willing to make deals, as are some of the uh, Sunni Arabs, because they feel mortally threatened by Iran. So you can see it's a mess. But the, the thing you remember is it's been a mess for thousands of years. This is nothing new. This is just reverting back to the traditional you know, uh, rivalries and traditional chaos uh, that has characterized uh, the, you know, the, the Levant, the, the Middle East, uh, again, for, for thousands of years. Uh, and there, and there's no easy solution to that. So th the basic problem here is that the uh, uh, a lot of Turks consider Erdogan playing with fire by getting mixed up in this mess. 
instead of trying to uh, basically uh, clean up their act and get themselves into the EU. Uh, and that's another thing that's pulling right now. But Erdogan has basically set himself against it. Um, and uh, he's, 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 not, he's not got a natural majority for that. He's not got a natural majority for anything. And he's losing any kind of working majority which is why he, he's, he's seriously talking about trying to get rid of democracy. And like I point out, you know, good luck with that. So there you go. A mess without end. Jim, I disagree on, on, on one thing you said, but it's not a disagreement on the point you were making. He does have a, na- a natural ma- uh, majority for Turkish nationalism. Yes. But there are a lot of Turks that think he's totally undermined it with what he's doing with power consolidation. That's that's the there is a this even applies to many Turkish Kurds. Heck, the guy who is the head of the uh, Republican People's Party, that's the Kemalist Party. uh, I'm going to blow his name, but it's like uh, Kiradisholu. I'm close to it. I mean, but it's it's close. He's a Kurd and he is a. Rank and file, uh, when I say Turkish Republican nationalist, and there are there are so there are a lot of quote unquote ethnic minorities in Turkey that buy off on it because they see they they they, they, they buy off on on the Kemalist system. That's at a Turk system. Uh, again, I've heard senior Turkish diplomats. Now they're in the diplomatic service. In discussions, in talks, say that they, that's 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 another one of the things that they know distinguishes them from, <laughs> as you were talking about the chaos throughout the rest of the Middle East. <laughs> no kidding. Uh, they think it distinguishes them quite correctly from many situations uh, in uh, Central Asia as well. I've never heard one say this, but the, you just think about it, it distinguishes them completely from places like Iran and other uh, Turkey's got a, it's something that they sense if you chat uh, at the cocktail party afterwards, they say that this exists in Egypt as well uh, from, from different different reasons. And But it, it, it does. There's a Egyptian, Egyptian nationalism. There's the natural majority uh, within uh, within Egypt. And, and we can look, President, formerly General al-Sisi, understands that. That was one reason he moved against Mohammed Morsi and the Muslim Brotherhood and had a coup that was popular with 80% of the country. All right, that that said, Erdogan is still not appealing to that natural majority within Turkey that that, that you said. There are, as, as for dealing with the Kurdish issue, actually Erdogan did make attempts to settle it. But when they reached a point to try to settle it, because remember, we we still were covering Kurd war as a separate war at this time, Jim. There was a huge fall off in clashes. Apo Achalan, the founder of the Kurdistan Workers Party, who was a Marxist operative. Yeah, the Russians used it during the Cold War to, you know, goad Turkey, was in jail, but he was cooperating. And when they reached a point where, they were going to make the deal that you outlined, Jim, and I like the comparison to Belgium. That was where, yeah, you've got Kurdish TV and radio stations and all this and you know, local, uh, you know, the parliament and, and whatever, you know, and and this. But it, he, uh, Ocalan couldn't deliver it. Most of the 
the PKK, what we let's say their political sympathizers, thought it was a, a good deal. The hardcore did not. And there's some reason to believe, uh, just uh, no, no proof, but some, you know, valid speculation that there were other forces, Iran, Russia, I don't know, uh, that wanted these hardcore PKK that are that are holed up in the Kandil Mountains in, in northeastern Iraq to continue the war because they wouldn't didn't want Turkey to uh, Turkey to stabilize. Uh, they. Uh, if it fell apart and then Erdogan, after uh, uh, one or two very atrocious attacks, said, all right, the, the peace deal's off. And uh, then, you know, he got he actually got a surge of support uh, from across the political spectrum in Turkey because we don't want those kind of attacks. Now, one of the other things, too, is about ISIL, and I, I don't remember the date of this. I, one of ISIL's attacks inside Turkey killed a lot of Kurds. So uh, there was – why was that? Who knows? It's probably just ISIL setting off a bomb. But then there were Kurds in Turkey trying to help some of the Syrian uh, uh, Syrian Kurds in, in Syria. And by help, I don't mean shipping them weapons, medicine, medicine uh, uh, and food to their ethnic brethren. A lot of those folks actually in the, at that stage are now in – those Kurds are now in refugee camps inside – uh, in, inside Turkey, uh, this I'm talking about. You know, the 2011, 20, uh, 20, uh, 2012 was was when they were doing the help. Uh, help. But the attack that occurred is that I'm thinking about is I think is in, in 2014. There's a, a lot of reason, and there's the common a common interest between Kurds and, and Turkey and dealing with uh, uh, the Isla uh, Islamic State, but. There are all these, as you pointed out, Jim, other counter tensions. And uh, for this common interest, there's a common opposition. Common opposition. Divisive. Uh, there's, a, there's a division and, a, and another point. And that's, that goes back to the Nostrum, don't get involved with the Arabs, even though Kurds aren't Arabs. One other quick point to, for strategy page listeners. The Kurds were promised a Kurdistan after World War One. The Treaty of Sevres, which was Versailles for the Ottoman Empire, uh, said there would be a Kurdistan. The, the uh, Turkish nationalist movement, led by Kemal Ataturk, uh, rendered that uh, a, a dead issue. And Lausanne, the treaty that ended the uh, war with the Turkish nationalism, then Turkish nationalists said nothing about a Kurdistan. So it was uh, Ataturk that uh, under, undermined that. His reason was, he says, Turkey's given up enough, uh, enough land. Uh, right or wrong, that's, uh, that's, uh, uh, that's what occurred. There's, uh, so the, the, the Kurds were going to be rewarded after, after World War I by the Western powers, and it, it uh, did not obtain. As for Jim's point, Dan, on about the Kurds always being around, Xenophon's uh, you know, retreat of the 10,000, as uh, he reaches a, a point, the, the Greek mercenaries reach a point on the uh, upper uh, Tigris River, they're ambushed by uh, some uh, folks who say that they're the PR day and Kurds point to that and say, that's us. You know, we were, we were ambushing Greek mercenaries trying to return to uh, Greece from uh, 
uh, Mesopotamia, uh, uh, even in, 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 in the uh, early third century BC. Uh, or uh, so we're there, and we've been there a long time. Uh, uh, I just use that as historical reference because the Kurds do. Well. It's time to wrap it up, and uh, sounds like there's a lot of wild cards out there and no winning hands. So uh, we'll stop there, and we'll talk to you both next time. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye-bye.